Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by our correspondent, Allison Trowbridge. Hi, Allie. Hi. Allie, as you know, this is part two of our episode on music, and you snagged an amazing interview with Snoop Dogg's manager. I know. I was not cool enough to do this interview. I seriously felt not cool, but it was so fascinating. Oh, I think you're plenty cool enough. (laughs) I'm actually very envious because Snoop Dogg's fascinating to me. I don't think I know any of his music, but what's fascinating to me is how he's just commercially shows up everywhere. Yeah. And he's been around for decades and has just been the king of the industry. And what's so fascinating was talking to his manager, Russ, and really seeing the way that they've been able to create all of these branded partnerships and companies around his music. And I mean, the most multifaceted business I think I've encountered. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. There's a lot that we can all learn. I think we get stuck in this mindset of like, this is what my company does. We only sell this without realizing there's other ways that you can stay on sort of on message and monetize whatever you're doing in a bunch of other ways. So it's really good. Also on this episode, we have Ben Rector. He's got a new album out called Magic, and he stops by the Story Brand Studio to do a concert for our team, and it was magical, to say the least. All right, let's hear it. Russ Rideau, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So good to have you. Yes. I am so fascinated by your career. I mean, who gets to be a manager for Snoop Dogg? Uh, I would have never thought it. Really? Yeah. His uh, entry into the business are my high school years. Yeah. So 93 to 97. Wow. um, The world met Snoop Dogg in 93. Yeah. And 94 is when we got the chronic, I believe, and the year after we got Doggy Style. So Hmm. the music that he painted were basically all my high school memories. So to even know him, you know, he was a music god to me. Hmm. So, you know, I could have never expected this for my life. So beautiful. How did you find yourself in entertainment? I kind of fell into it, honestly. You know, I came back home from college, you know, a marketing major, chasing football, sports dreams on an athletic scholarship Realized that, you know, there was other things out there for me, living in Kansas, came home and, you know, started off as a, you know, just filling my way through the industry. I found my way into being an event promoter, basically Mm. just simply put, just throwing parties in the city that ended up, you know, sort of building a name and brand for myself. Yeah. That business and presence in the city led to an opportunity to work at a a record label in A&R department that I started off as an intern Wow. Um, so you've was, like come up through the ranks. Yeah, just from nothing. Just wow. coming home, you know, packed my car up from Kansas, drove it home, and it's like, what am I going to do now? Wow. You know? And I just kind of took some of the friends and relationships I had. And I had a friend that had just uh, got an NBA contract. Okay. He just, you know, made it to the league and he gave me my first investment on my first party. <laughs> okay. So we were able to throw a party, and that started. That was the start of it, you know? Wow. So we're sitting here in Russ's office in L.A. for Stampede Management. He's one of the—him and his partner, Ted, are the co-managers of Snoop Dogg. And you've also got this 
huge marketing agency upstairs. I mean, it's like command central beehive. He just gave me a tour and it was so fun seeing everything. Talk to me a little bit about the projects you guys have worked on. I mean, walking through the hallways, seeing the movie posters and the films you've been a part of and you're shaping the narrative. Yeah, we're trying our best to. And, you know, we have an amazing team upstairs that are just killing it every day. And you look at our wall of fame, it's it's everything from, you know, amazing television properties like Atlanta, um, Martha and Snoop Show, which is one of our flagship shows. That's Martha Stewart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> which is my favorite dynamic duo in entertainment right now, I think. Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg, for everyone yeah. who wants to tune in, they have a cooking show. Who would have thought it, Who right? would have thought? I love it. Yeah. And on the film side, we've been lucky enough to be a part of some amazing, amazing success stories from Black Panther to Get Out, Mudbound. Yeah. We worked on Will Smith's last blockbuster with Netflix, Bright. We've serviced those projects in various different ways. Mm. And uh, just great to have been a part of such success stories and and for those networks and studios to allow us to have a voice has been amazing. I think we can all see how entertainment is shifting to a more multiculturalism sort of content. How do you think business is shifting in that way? A few years back, Census Bureau... um, put out a study that in 2042, that would be the time where there's no longer a minority, is that the melting pot, you know, the minority now becomes the majority. Wow, um, I've not heard that. Yeah, and that's something wow. that, that's sort of a tenet in what we've built our business on and the power of that diversity. The population is shifting. And with the population, you have to look at how their cultural influences are going to shape everyone's spending habits, hmm. you know. My partner, Ted, you know, gave this amazing speech at one of our conferences around, like, just using hot sauce as an example, hmm. right? And, you know, at one time, you only really saw Tabasco on the counter, right? Yeah. And now, because of how multicultural the world is, you can't get past the sriracha, you can't get past the tapatio. Yes. And you oh. just can't, right? Yeah. And our palates start to change because we start yeah. to experiment and try those different types of things, which is that multicultural element. That's right? such a good analogy because I actually want, I usually want about five hot sauces. <laughs> I lived in the UK for a year and everything was so bland that yeah. I liked a hot sauce and everything. It's a tough thing. You yeah. got Yeah. You travel out of the country, you better have your hot sauce in your bag. <laughs> totally. Hopefully the airport TSA doesn't take it. Yeah. That's our analogy. And that's how the melting pot is shifting And it's just turning into something that you have to pay attention to. It's such a fascinating and important way to see it. I think what I love about the work that you do is so much is, and I want to get into a bit of how you've monetized a lot of this, but we don't see artists as brands themselves. And so when we talk about the way that you've partnered artists with with brands and companies, we don't realize that there's Snoop Dogg is a brand. That is a global brand. And you've been able to find incredible opportunities for him and other artists that you've worked with. Can you talk a bit about some of the things you've done? I, like, I love the example of the Marlins. We have a, a unique relationship with a company called Jingle Punks. Jingle Punks is headed by Jingle Jarrett, <laughs> <laughs> Jared Gustad. He's one of the most creative and talented executives that I've ever been around. He's built a, an empire, you know, music distribution to television and films of original music, bad music. He basically creates... Most of the TV shows that you're watching, the bed music, the music that you hear under is coming from him, his, no way. his company. Yeah. Wait, really? Yeah. Where we've partnered with Jingle Punks and Jared on are, are creating on the sports marketing side. 
And we went into the Florida Marlins and had a conversation with Derek Jeter around what their initiatives were. He's going through, you know, transition of rebuilding yeah, buying the audience the, yeah. and buying the team and trying to plant a flag in the sand for what his regime is going to be as the owner of this franchise. Right. And we came up with the idea of there being a song just to reinvigorate the community, give them something yeah. to be proud of, something to be excited. DJ Khaled is a staple in Miami. Mm. So we He's were, a staple everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he's but awesome. he but he's a hometown, you know. That's where he's yeah. from. Yeah. So creatively, Jared and Pooh Bear worked together on creating this song. We went to Khaled and went to a, another amazing Latin artist named Nikki Jam hmm. to be a part of it. And uh Khaled brought in one of his emerging artists, a guy named Kitten Jones, who had a couple hits, signing his We The Best label, and we created this amazing record, launched it at opening day. Wow. Pooh Bear and Khaled came in and performed it. We shot some amazing content around it, lots of great PR, lots of great morale. The whole city showed up and ended up being just a great sort of entry into what uh, Stampede and Jingle Punks are doing together to create these anthems hmm. for athletic teams, uh, sports franchises, and some uh, bigger uh, named athletes. Yeah. So that was something that we're really proud of. And, so cool. You know, launched Miami Marlins' is a 2018 season. Hmm. And it's something the song has continued to grow and it's being played on the radio and streaming, and there's this video piece moving around. So they're very happy with what was able to come together. Yeah, it's almost like you guys are like redefining the idea of the kind of 360 deals, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, you're just seeing opportunity in all these different places, taking artists and brands and sports teams and connecting all these dots. I love the way that you guys, everything you do is outside the box, which I think every business leader constantly has to think beyond just kind of what what's in their immediate sandbox, so to speak. Let's talk about just the business of music, of the music industry for a second. Mm -hmm. Do you think every artist today needs to be thinking about brand partnerships in order to be financially successful? Yeah, I just think they have to think about it in authentic ways because it's really not necessarily about brands. It's really mm. about their stories. Yeah. And how can their story connect with other brands that are telling the same stories and how they can connect to marketing spins that serve everyone's greater purpose. And I think that's what's important, right? Because you can't ever look inauthentic as an artist. You can't ever look for the brand deal because the brand deal will never find you. You have to make your art. You have to stand on a platform, you know, what your messaging is and what your creative voice is. And you have to find partners that help you tell that story. And some of those partners could be massive advertising and marketing campaigns. Some of those partners could be media and content platforms. Some of those partners could be products and other brand extensions. And that's where, you know, for us, we're always searching for that. And that's where when we sit with an artist and really understanding their voice and vision, or when we're sitting with a brand 
and understanding what their mission is. Mm. You know, it's really about finding those authentic alignments. Yeah. Because if it's inauthentic, it doesn't help or service anyone. Yeah. Yeah. It looks bad. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a big loss. But when it's a win, it's, it's a huge so win. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. so, so good. How do you find that streaming has changed the music landscape? It changed the conversation completely. It changed the consumption behavior. It actually created an opportunity to rebound for artists because when that transition was happening and we saw shelf space becoming more limited and the full streaming landscape hadn't been completely sorted, you started seeing a lot of artists fall by the wayside. Mm -hmm. You know, there were a lot of artists not having the ability to create revenue for themselves outside of really like merchandising and touring. I think that the streaming game has changed that. It also has empowered the independent artist in a way that hasn't been, right? Right, right. Since the early days when you can focus a campaign if you were an independent artist and if you just were a hustler and this is the Master P model, go market to market, independent store to independent store, print up your CDs and sell 10 copies here, 20 copies here, or, or yeah. put them on consignment. And you drive up the coast, and then you come back down and collect your money. <laughs> and that's what Master P built his business on, right? Since huh. those days when the CD was no longer really a viable product, the industry had to catch up. Yeah. I think it finally has. And it's uh, created an opportunity for the independent artists again. Hmm. Because a lot of these artists, regardless of any label support, they have followings. They have their own social voice. They have people they can access on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or Twitter, and they can build that conversation. And the consumption behavior is different. You're not now driving a person to get into their car, drive to a record store, cut out all the other noise, right. get to a music section, buy a CD, and now it's really almost like air. It's just, it's the world, it's intangible. So as long as they have their subscription service on Apple Music or Spotify, they can find your music. And if you have your, you have built a following on your socials, you can drive that behavior. And yeah. it's a lot less transactional. It's just more lifestyle, yeah. right? Yeah, more community. Community, right? And the artists are now starting to get paid for that transaction. How and are they getting paid when streaming is free? There's a collection medium called Sound Exchange, okay, which is similar to what ASCAP and BMI are for terrestrial radio plays, or if your song plays in a an arena, or or how they collect money from live venues. That all goes into the pool. Oh, fascinating! Uh, Sound Exchange services, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, and it calculates your income and pays you a check. Wow, and I never knew that existed. Yeah, yeah, and and we've seen just from artists we've worked with over the years, pretty significant checks start to come from the collective, you know, monies that they've been able to make from streams, wow, from plays online, yeah. and how artists are being discovered. They're not in just being discovered in the back of nightclubs anymore, right? You know, right. yeah, they already have momentum, and they already have some of them have millions of streams, yeah, and are already making money and are already touring. You know, there's always the conversation of how do you get to radio and how do you have a, a radio hit, which we've seen some independent artists do that without the major label system. Hmm. It's just costly to, to go across the country and promote a record. Right. And I think that's where the labels are 
Maybe I'm still sure, yeah, helpful. They're still helpful, but they're also probably scratching their heads to figure out how they can continue to deal make and service the artist community, but also probably how they continue to carry the weight of their massive operations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Know? Yeah. So yeah. it's changing. It's, it's changing. It's totally changing. I think it's changing for the better. I think it's, it's putting more power really? in artists and individuals like myself and managers and marketing companies and that we can be more independent. Yeah. Our, that the gatekeepers aren't as powerful. I love yeah. that. Are um, live events or live concerts really important to yeah, the Yeah, I don't think anything model? is going to ever, because nothing's going to ever change the experience of what it's like to feel and experience your artists live, yeah. right? I was just telling you that uh, <laughs> I just came back from the desert, Coachella, and first weekend was mostly Baychella. business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now Baychella. And well-deserved. <laughs> First weekend, we were partnered up with Heineken, and we helped them build out their programming for their Heineken house, which is a, a stage at Coachella. We brought Buster Rhymes to headline their Saturday night and brought out some other amazing artists to support. Snoop came out, Diddy and Mace and Warren G, and just ended up being an epic, epic night. You know, we were down there weekend one, just kind of really making sure all the things that we had to do were buttoned up and all the business, the brand was happy, the artists were taken care of and all the coordination and logistics around that and making sure that the show came off and everyone, you know, walked away very happy. But it was uh, definitely labor intensive in the desert with yeah. the, the dust. And, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what I was thinking. The, you know, my team got me all excited about weekend two. <laughs> And I was just a kid out there, just just being a, being a fan. I you know? love it. It's so important that you can yeah. just be in that moment, though, and be a fan. Weekend too, I was in the moment. I was mm. like running around like a kid. You know, we saw Odessa, we saw uh, Migos, we saw Miguel, love it. we saw Beyonce again. Because <laughs> you can never have too Eminem, much Beyonce, right? It's just like to actually just be on our own time for once. Yeah. And just run around, you know, that was a lot of fun. It's good to hear that you still enjoy it, that you haven't, like, your eyes light up. It's like it still has the magic for you, even though you see how, you know, all the behind the scenes and how the sausage is made. There's still nothing like the magic of being live with a performer. I love it, man. I just think music drives me. Music, mm. you know, the center of wherever my career goes or however I touch this business, it's going to all be, be rooted in music. And that's the foundation. You know, we're developing television shows we're developing films, but a lot of it are rooted or have some sort of connection to music. Mm. And, you know, music drives emotion. Music raises us, you know? Yeah. I don't know many teenagers that don't have a pair of headphones on their head most <laughs> of the day. I don't think I've ever met one. <laughs> yeah, right. So these artists' voices are powerful, yeah. and we're shaping young minds, and we're creating the conversation, and we're, you know, there is also responsibility there. And... That's what we want to continue to do. We want to continue to tell those stories. We want to continue to push the culture. And we want to continue to just build brands, product brands and artist brands. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I love what you do. Love how you're doing it. Thank and you. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of your work in years to come. Oh, yeah. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, love we're it. 15 years in plus and got a few gray hairs to show for it. <laughs> <laughs> going strong. Yeah. Russ, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me. Allie, fantastic job. 
yeah, I love how they think about their audience and they realize they have a multicultural audience and they realize there's all this economic and entertainment opportunity outside of sort of a narrow focus. And uh, that's a good reminder for all of us. Yeah. And how that's going to be the new general audience and the way that they're rethinking the marketplace. And I just kept going back to my own company and what it means for a business leader, understanding a multicultural audience today, and also just having this multifaceted perspective on how to create partnerships around your core business. It's so brilliant. Well, our next guest is very similar. Ben Rector, as I mentioned, has a new album out called Magic. And you've probably already heard parts of the record, or at least been on Oprah commercials. I catch him all the time on television. He's They call him sinks. You know, you sell a bit of your song to a commercial and they call that a sink. There's a lot of money in it. In fact, a lot of artists these days, Allie, they will create a record that sounds cinematic enough to get more syncs on television and Netflix and all that. No way. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the new boxes you have to check here in Nashville. If you're creating a record, you have to check this box of like, okay, are the producers going to want to buy this for Grey's Anatomy and all that kind of stuff? Isn't that fascinating? Wow. Well, Ben is blown up on us. He's, uh, I think last concert I went to had about 5,000 people at it. And he's not just a great artist, he's a great business person. Here is my interview, followed by a concert with Ben Rector. Can you take me back when we were just kids who weren't scared of getting older? No one knows you like they know you, no one probably ever will. You can grow up. Ben, welcome. Thank you. I almost said welcome back to you. I was just, I'm like, yeah, welcome back. The new album is Magic? Yes. It's not literally magic. I mean, it is magic, but it's also called Magic. (laughs) Yes. And for a minute, I had an idea for like a skit where it's like someone asking me what the record's called. And I'm like, it's magic. And they're like, okay, great. But what's it called? And I'm like, it's magic. And then going there back is and forth a novelist a who released a book called The Winner of the Something Book Award. And that was actually the name of the novel. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the awesome. Winner of National Book Award. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was always pretty good. You are carrying a synthesizer on the cover of the album. And the album has a bit of a nostalgic feel if you grew up in the 80s and 90s. Yes. Intentional? Yeah. So let me just add, there's a lot yeah. of memories in this album. There's a lot of talk about old friends. And right. And so it's kind of like... That's a little bit chicken and egg, like I wanted on this record to dress it up in a focused way instead of just chasing every song and being like, what does this song need to sound like? I wanted to... Like, it was a bit thematic. Yeah, I wanted to impose some limitations. And the more I wrote, the more like nostalgia was coming out in the lyrics. And I was like, it would be fitting to dress it up in that way. And it was just like a fun project for me. How many albums do you have now? This is Honestly, man... I'm not trying to be like that guy. I don't know because there's a couple records I released in college that aren't available anymore. Right. So like, and there's one live record and it's like, I don't know if I really count those or not. I yeah. would guess it's like my fourth like Ma- proper like major like, release record. kind of thing. Yeah, I think. After three and then a live record and then a couple that you released in college, did you use that as a tool, the idea of nostalgia? Did you use it as a tool just to keep it interesting for you? Yeah, and so honestly, <laughs> part of me was, I realized that like I need to keep enjoying it 
selfishly, but then also just like to keep making good art, I need to stay really engaged. And it is, like you said, it becomes a different game than when you're mm-hmm. 20 years old or 19 or whatever. I'm 31 now. So some of it really was like, you know what? I think I could get really excited about using these limitations and trying to, you know, put like a broad brush stroke of like stylized sonic stuff over yeah. everything. And so, yeah, it was definitely some of that. I was just like, I need to have fun with this because it's so easy. You go from, I love writing songs and like I get to sing them sometimes to like now my days are filled with not that. And it's right. like, it becomes more of like a, a company or something, which is nothing wrong with well, that. Well, I'm actually very curious about that. I yeah. remember years ago I wrote a blog and it was probably an ill-advised blog to write, but it was a review of something like a review of a new U2 record. Mm-hmm. And I started kind of reviewing the record, thinking about the record, listening to the record, and I just thought, well, they have to have like one anthemic song, and they right. have to have this, and it has to be cross-cultural, because you have to tour this in Latin America. And I, <laughs> and I literally thought of the parameters that they have to put on themselves in order to keep the machine running, because if you don't, there are you know a thousand people who depend on you to get right. this thing right. And I would just thought that would be creatively stifling for you. And you've gone from you know small bars to clubs to you know, big, big venues mm-hmm. that you're selling out. Yeah. And this is probably the first record that you actually wrote knowing there's going to be six to 10,000 people and you're going to be headlining. Right. Did it change the way you approach this record? You're generous with that estimate. Uh, <laughs> Five to seven. 10 million people. <laughs> 10 million at every people show. at every show. No, that's, that, it's a fair thing. Yes. I would say that what you're describing for the YouTube album is a real thing. So for me, I was fortunate to start making music I mean, it's made it a little bit harder and more complicated because I've never like just like plugged into a machine and just like exploded or something. But it also helped me to kind of like my scoreboard wasn't driven by like radio specifically or whatever specifically. My scoreboard was kind of like, I want to create a sound body of work. And that I think is what has kind of like attracted people to it instead of like a guy gets lazy and is like, yeah, now I'm just like writing one or two songs for radio and we'll fill the other stuff up. Like mm. I'm as stressed out about like track 11 as I am mm. like track three or whatever. However, as stuff has grown and changed, the kind of like mixing of art and commerce is inescapable. Like it's, you are thinking those things as far as like, what's this song going to feel like in this environment? By that, do you mean sometimes... Is it cinematic enough that Sinks will pick it up and it'll be on TV? I mean, all of that. Like, whether it's like, how's it going to feel live? Or like, is this the thing? You know, you're just running things through more filters than you used to. And it's a really tough balance that I think I struggle with and everybody struggles with because like, you want to be purely motivated by art. And the best that I've figured out is like, I try to like take off the kind of like business hat when I'm creative and just try to be like an artist all the way through. But if you really don't wear one hat or the other. Yeah, like the people that are the kind of like old fashioned, like I can't even tie my shoes, artist types, you never get a record out. (laughs) You know, if a tree falls in the woods, does anyone hear it? Like, and I don't have the answer to that, but I would say the people that I look at and I'm like, you're really doing this well or have been doing it for a long time, you figure out the balance of that because just one or the other seems like it doesn't always doesn't work and not just in a business sense like pure artist i can't tie my shoes guy sometimes finds something great and never finds it again because like doesn't have the determination or the discipline or whatever pure business guy like 
might find something that's artistically stimulating, but like just becomes dispensable and like disposable. It's like, I don't care about that. So the people that I look at and respect are able to balance it. And that's been like something every time I'm like, I think I got a feel for this. It just changes and shifts all the time. Yeah. Your life has changed so much in the last five years. And, so much. and I mean this as a compliment. I don't feel like you have. Oh, thank you. Because I probably met you, I mean, five years ago through a mutual yeah. friend, so we didn't know each other well, but yeah. you're just the same guy. You know, we're driving down 12 South, which is the neighborhood you right. live in. Right. And, you know, I say, Ben Rector lives right there. And that's one of the things I say is he's literally the same guy. The crowds have multiplied, but he's the same guy. You were and kind I think, to say that. And I forget that sometimes. So my wife is in your wife's book club. Mm-hmm. And so we went to a restaurant, a taco shop once. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember this. Mm-hmm. And it was crowded. I mean, there was just a crowded, crowded room. And I realized 50% of the people in this room are looking at Ben. <laughs> it was weird. And it I want to know, how have you not been affected by that? Yeah. I think good and bad, I'm kind of a pessimist. I think at first people find that endearing and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And then on the other side of it, it can be a little bit bad because people are like, hey, why are you so worried that no one's going to come to these shows? You still feel that when your tickets I mean, go I, on sale? I don't, I don't feel like show? no one's going to come, but, but like... You feel like 12 people are going to come. It just, I know what it takes for me to go to a concert and spend money on something. And I'm asking yeah. many people, and the tickets are not crazy expensive, but it's not 10 bucks. Like they're kind of expensive. Yeah. So I still feel that. And I would say the best explanation I have for like how that does or does not affect me when I started out, I think everybody who like releases something or puts something out into the world wants applause and wants for people to be like, you're good at this. And I still do. But I feel like I got back enough of that that I realized like it's like monopoly money. Like I, this isn't going to make me happy and I'm just going to want more of it. And it's not a sustainable model for me to run on that fuel. I think my best attempt at dealing with it is just understanding like that's not real life. And truly, this isn't like me like doing like my shtick and trying to be like a humble guy. The thing that those people are excited about is, I don't mean this in a bad way, but like that guy doesn't exist. I'm not putting anything on that's like not me. It'd be like being an actor you liked that like was a movie character that you liked. It's like, oh, like you're excited about kind of this character, but like the real me is not that exciting or that whatever. And it's kind of one of those things, it's like agree to disagree. Like people are like, oh my gosh. And you're just like, you shouldn't be excited about this. (laughs) And I I, I understand that like, it's a rare thing to have an aptitude for music and that people are excited about that. But I really believe that like, that's because I like got dealt that hand and tried to learn how to play it well, does not inherently make me special. Like I know it makes me maybe like, it's a rarity, but that doesn't make me more or less important. And so like, the best I can do is just kind of like, that's my reality and that is reality. And when people are like excited times 10, it's just like that just, the thing you're excited about doesn't exist. Yeah. And I'm so happy when people are excited about it, truly. But like you get enough of that in to realize like this isn't a fuel that you can run on. And honestly, after a while, it just becomes very uncomfortable. So like you don't want to seek it out because you're just like, I don't want people to look at me at a restaurant. I don't want mm-hmm. people to whatever. Mm-hmm. That's the best answer I have for that. That's such a grounded perspective. I've always been curious about that with you, is how you stay so grounded and, yeah. uh, and understanding. I mean, when I see you in concert, I think your live show is absolutely, I was blown away. It's just it's so well choreographed and done. 
It's a big show. Yeah. I mean, I was actually, I was like, there's however many people at Ascend Amphitheater last time I saw you. A lot. And, 10 million. And it filled up, <laughs> it filled up the whole thing. It yeah. filled, I mean, it just filled up all the way to the back rows. It was, the sound was filling up. And I just thought, boy, he's worked really hard at this. Yeah, at the energy totally. and the, managing the energy. Mm-hmm. And you have to somewhat be a character. Although the character is you, it's just a version of yeah, you, just, right? It's, it's, a, just, it's a polished showman version of you. Right. And I think part of that is like a chicken and egg thing too, where it's like, that's the only card that I can really play. Some people can play the card well of like, I'm awesome and like mysterious and like, check me out. And they have that like aura. I just can't do that as an actor. You don't I, have that. I don't have that arsenal. role. And, when and, did you realize that? Because that's interesting because I imagine there were times when, I mean, I know musicians who have one one hundredth of your success and they are total rock star characters on Instagram or in person. <laughs> and I just kind of just go, this is, I don't understand this. It's not, yeah. it's clearly not working for you. Well, but I, did you ever think in order to like, my Instagram posts just have pictures of me and my daughter or, or me going, wow, look how big this tomato is. You know, <laughs> Did you ever think <laughs> right. this is right. going to cost me unless I start paying this, playing no, this character? I think for me, that's one thing that like, I've been lucky to have a lot of reps. I think creatively, like you learn in hindsight, especially with, this art form, I don't know if I could have as a an 18 year old said like, I think this is my appeal and I should try to whatever. It's more like I've done it so much for so long that like you look back at the end of a show and you're like, that really felt like it resonated and that was like a really magnetic moment. What is that? Same thing in writing, same thing in whatever. I don't think I ever had the idea that I was going to be like, wearing leather jackets and sunglasses and like being like super suave. But I think that's just something I've learned in hindsight. You do more and more stuff, look back at a record and you're like, oh, people really gravitated towards these couple songs. Why is that? And it's like, oh, because I'm being vulnerable. And also I think in some ways it's like the only way I know how to cope with that. The only magic trick I know is like the one where it's like a little bit hyped up version of myself. That's the only thing I'm good at. On some level, it's just like, that's my limitation. So what can I do within that box? That's interesting. You know? It's interesting because it doesn't seem like there's a limitation on how big that can make you. I mean, it, it, to right. me, it's like I, you know, there's only a couple more steps to go before. Right. You're in well, and I stadiums. think the other thing for me too is just like understanding that, like, regardless of if it's like, but if you just change this and wore the leather jacket, then this is just like, <laughs> man, like this is what I can do, and not in like an aw shucks like limiting way, but it's like that this, is so rare. It's I'm a, so rare for anybody, not just a somebody who's in the entertainment industry. It's so rare for anybody to and just go, well, this is who I am, and this is, and I don't have that skill set. I'm not going to be a professor at Harvard. I'm going right. to be, you know, yeah. a, a junior high teacher or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting. There's a song on the new record. Again, the record's called Magic, and we're going to hear from Ben here in a second. But there's a song, correct me if I'm wrong, it's called Old Friends. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you actually filmed a video, and you got your high school band back together. Yeah. When man. I watched that, I just had so many questions. I just wanted, <laughs> I so wanted to be a fly on the wall, because this is your old band. Right. You have a new band. Right. This right. is not your new band. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and what was that moment like? And was had you kept in touch with all these guys really closely, or so did I've you have kept to bring in touch, them together? I would say I've kept in touch with most of them. The drummer, 
Chris Wiley is kind of like my longtime like childhood best friend or yeah. like since middle school. And so we keep up. And then a couple of the other guys, Blake, another guy referenced in the song, we keep up probably not as much as Chris. The only guy that I hadn't kept up with was the bassist. And he's a wonderful guy. But like even in high school, he's ben, just not a very good conversationalist. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Matt Wantland. No, he really is a great guy. But we formed the band in high school for a battle of the bands. Matt, we knew he played bass. And we were like, you want to play bass? in this band and he was like yeah totally but okay so i would say the video honestly man it came together better than i thought it would i it's tried a great video if you haven't seen it yet Everybody thanks look it up. i tried to make a concept that was going to be like executable because video stuff gets a hard to pull off and very expensive very quickly again with operating within limitations i was like i don't have three million dollars to spend on this video so what's a video that could be compelling within my limitations and then I thought about like, I just want to see those guys again. Like <laughs> I would love to spend a day with them. And I think that, that could be like compelling and fun to go back and shoot it there. So it was the kind of thing where enough things that could have gone wrong went right that I was just like grateful. And that's usually in a creative thing. I feel like I'm like with all of my might trying to like steer the ship this way a little bit and that way a little bit. And it's hard to keep it on track. And this was just like kind of found a groove and like went, which was great. It was great to see those guys. I think they were excited to do it because yeah. none of them play music anymore full time. Wow, that's amazing. And so I think the idea of like, hey, come be in the music video. I think everybody was a little bit stoked. I was stoked to get to Did play. Did you film it here in Nashville? No, we filmed it in my parents' garage oh, yeah. in Tulsa. That's right. We, we, right we, 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 we went yeah. all out. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Can we hear something from the new record? Yeah, absolutely. What are you going to play? Yeah, I'll play Drive. All right. Three point two from the driveway of your house, my apartment where I am waiting now. Come on, don't think nights young. Let's go to NYC, Portland, Austin, Anaheim. Maybe not Anaheim, keep an open mind I'm just saying maybe, let's go I don't care Anywhere Like a river connects to the ocean It's pavement touches wherever we're going White lines flying by Who knows what we'll find You and me tonight Let's drive Let's drive When's the last time we dropped our things and went Woke up somewhere that we've both never been Growing up doesn't mean getting older But maybe it's just left turns off familiar streets I just wanna come back with a memory Growing up doesn't mean getting older I don't care Anywhere Like a river connects to the ocean This pavement touches wherever we're going White lines flying by Who knows what we'll find You and me tonight Let's drive Remember when we were young and free all oh, the way it used 
Ben, thanks for that. Absolutely. That's a gift to us. Uh, you're going to be in Memphis in September, September 9th, September 20th, Columbus, Ohio. After that, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Detroit, New York City, Washington, D.C., Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago. It's a big tour. Minneapolis, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, Nashville, Nashville, Knoxville, Knoxville. I think we're going to be going to those and so on and so on all across the South. Go to benrectormusic.com if Check you want to catch out. Ben live. And I'm telling you, I'm not just saying this because he's here. It's an incredible show. Thanks so much. Yeah. We're going to do our best to make it another incredible show. All right. Well, thank you to Ben Rector for coming by the studio and doing a concert for us. Gosh, his voice is just incredible. Another great musician is Andrew Bell. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'll play a song called Boxes. I found boxes of first CDs Trying to get my office clean After ten years of folks giving them to me I sat down And I saw hesitant poses and torn up jeans In cover photos friends took for free Full of six-minute songs and all their lifelong dreams The world turned down Just dreaming of some life out on the road Oh All I dream about today that I'll be home I'd long forgotten how it feels to chase a dream Thank God for boxes of first CD On through this roll the decks of railroad tracks and fresh cut hair I see Joy who won some Grammys and is now a millionaire Looks different now than she does right there But that's how it goes As for the rest, I bet they're teachers or pastors now Pictured in jackets, girlfriends picked out all their hometowns turn these up, all the labels turn them down and never wrote. They're just dreaming of some life out on the road. Oh, all I dream about today that I'll be home. 
guess I forgot the way it feels to chase a dream Thank God for boxes of first CDs yeah. A thrift store jacket and ten less pounds Looking like a fool in some big field With my bare feet on the ground yeah. Bad song titles and worse drum sounds I didn't know All my dreams have come true out here on the road Never dreamed that I could call this life my own I guess I forgot the way it feels to chase a dream But thank God for how it feels to chase a dream Thank God for boxes of first CDs, yeah. This is a song called Sometimes. Some stupid pictures, some vacation of someone I don't know. Ten expert opinions on some stranger's post. And then a note, much to my surprise, from a face I haven't seen in a long, long time. You say you're fine over a couple pages. Between the lines You were really saying sometimes I just wonder what it would have been like If you were with me Don't worry your mind I'm not crying at night no. I just think of you sometimes Walking his dog out on Venice Beach Said he came to Los Angeles Chased some dream In 95 he said I left my girls behind And the time for second chances It's been gone for a long time I called her phone And I rambled on again But after the tone what I really meant was sometime I just wonder what it would have been like If you were with me, but don't worry your mind I'm not crying at night, no I just think of you sometimes
we say goodbye is if we go in places and we can try but you can't keep your heart from saying sometimes I just wonder what it would have been like If you were with me, don't worry your mind I'm not crying at night I just think of you I still think of you I just think of you sometimes 